Now I'm going to do a little work. We're going to be in John 11. That is a big, big chapter. We're not going to cover the entire chapter. And the reason is, is because one of the I am statements is in this. So I'm not going to cover too much of it today. I'm going to cover several passages. There's an aspect of this I want to look at because we're going to come back in three weeks and look at the I am statement that Jesus makes in this one. So we're not going to unpack the whole chapter. So just bear with me. So up to this point, the miracles have all been building. I don't know if you've paid attention to that or noticed that. But from miracle one to today, they've all been building upon one another in the gospel of John. Water to wine, right? Then healing of the official son and the, blind, uh, and the lame man. Then the feeding of 5,000, the walking on water, and then uh, the healing of the blind man. And then with this seventh miracle that's recorded here in the gospel of John, we hit the pinnacle, right? This is like the one. This is the biggie, and there's a, there's a reason for that. And I I want us to uh, really lean in today. If you'll give me your undivided attention, not zone out like I did when I was in school. Like if you'll just give me your undivided attention, we will get in and we'll get out. And I promise it'll be good. Um, And I pray this will help you. I pray this will help you. Not good because I prepared it. It's good because God said it. And we're going to look at some things today that I think is going to help us understand maybe an aspect of our salvation um, that perhaps... You sort of knew, but maybe you didn't fully understand. So whatever it is, however God ministers to you today, I pray that he would do it through this. This morning, we're going to see through the lens of the seventh miracle. It's the miracle that we all have an opportunity to experience in our lives. So let's look real, let's dive in. Uh, John chapter 11, uh, verses 16, or 1 through 16 is where we're, I'm, I'm just going to shoot straight through this, I think. Every time I say that, I never do. I stop and cover something, so maybe we can make it. John Chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And I'm going to do it right now. Does it not confuse anybody? Does it not make sense? Okay, you just, it just said, John, you just said that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so when he heard he was ill, he said, I'm going to hang. We'll get to that in another message. But um, he doesn't go straight to Lazarus. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and you're going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world, which Jesus answered the question, please. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in them. Verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Verse 12, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin also said to his fellow disciples, or said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Now, this is, by the way, the same Thomas that is famously known as Doubting Thomas. And I'm sure if Thomas could have his name changed, 
he probably would have said, could you not call me Doubting Thomas and instead call me Dying Thomas because I just said that uh, let's go where he may die. So here's what I want us to talk about today. We are going to talk about death. All right? We're going to talk about death. Specifically speaking, I want to point out how this text lays out for us the stages of life for every one of us, okay? Now, as we, as we accept Jesus by faith, we move through some of these stages, but every one of us starts at go. Like, this is the first block right here. So, look at verse 14. What did he say? Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus has died. Lazarus is dead. And so were we prior to salvation. What does that mean? We were not sick people walking around in need of a cure. We were dead people. Okay, we were dead. Dead people don't choose to walk. Dead people don't choose to live. Dead people don't make choices at all. Dead people are, they're dead, right? They're dead. Ephesians 2.1, listen to how Paul informs us of this very idea. And you were, what's the word? Dead in the trespasses and sins. Again, Paul in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you were, what's the word? Dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. The apostle Paul is clearly saying that we, prior to Christ, we were dead. We were dead and you know what, you know what dead people can't do? Pretty much everything, right? I mean, they can't do anything. Dead people can't do anything. Again, dead people can't choose to live. They can't choose to do anything for themselves. And no matter how big of a walking dead fan you are, they cannot walk and they do not eat, okay? Dead people don't do anything. And this is all of us prior to faith in Jesus. Every one of us. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. So Lazarus... He's dead. Lazarus can't make it. Hey, Jesus, let me, let me see if I can call up Jesus. He can't invite Jesus. Jesus, come and heal me. Now Martha and Mary do on his behalf. But he could not seek Jesus on his own. And neither Mary nor Martha nor anyone else in Bethany had the ability to heal Lazarus of his illness. Nor did they have the power, which is why Jesus hangs back and doesn't come immediately nor did they have the ability or power, nor anyone else in that area, to raise him from the dead. Some have mistakenly come to the conclusion that salvation is all about their decision. Okay? And I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here, but the thing is, is we, we have this thing that, you know, like, uh, you've heard it, people say it before. Um, I'm not ready to follow Jesus right now. Maybe one day, people say. Maybe one day I'll make a decision. You know, maybe I got to, sow some wild oats, whatever in the world that means. Um, we gotta, I just got some things that I want to do, a life that I want to live, and maybe one day, maybe on my deathbed, I will uh, accept Jesus. We have mistakenly come to the conclusion that salvation is all about our decision. I want to show you from Scripture where this is not entirely true. Romans chapter 3, verse 11, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands. And what does that next part say? If we can get it up there, there we go. What does that say? No one seeks God. This is Paul writing. No one seeks God. Look at John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me 
draws him. This is the work of God in our life, and I will raise him up on the last day. There's this resurrection idea. Look again in John chapter 6 and verses 63 through 65. He said, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it, would, and who, and who it was who would betray him. And now look at this next verse. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him, right, by the Father. So there's this idea and this concept that Jesus teaches over and over again that salvation, it's not like one day we just woke up and decided, you know, my life is just so messed up, I think I need to go pursue Jesus. Jesus does the drawing, okay, or the Father does the drawing. Like Jesus, he, is, he draws us, uh, the gospel draws us in, and then it's not our doing. Again, no one seeks God. None of us do. Like on our own, we don't seek God. Something dead people don't seek anything. They're just dead. So something has to happen. Every human being alive exists in one of two, one of, uh, one of two categories. You're either spiritually dead or you're spiritually alive. There's nothing in between. Like there is no in between that you can say, well, I'm gonna hang out here for a little while. You're either dead or you're alive, okay? So next point, let's look at verse 39. We're gonna jump all the way over to 1139. Again, these are the stages of, of our life or our salvation. So again, we start out in this world, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Look in verse 39, it says, um, Jesus said to Mary and Martha, this, so he's made his journey there, Lazarus is dead, he's been dead for a little while, and Jesus comes up and he tells uh, Mary and Martha they're, they're really like upset as anybody would be that their loved one is lost. Mary and Martha, um, Jesus says, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. I love the King James Version, it just says he stinketh. That's fantastic. I mean, we should use that. That should be everyday language. He says, look, he, there should be an odor. He's been dead for four days. So here's the second stage of all this. And this is kind of to show the spiritual decay of everything. How do we know Lazarus was dead? By the way, in, in the first century, they would wait several days, at least probably three to four days, to bury someone because there was a belief back in, in Jesus' day that when someone died, their spirit hovered for a couple of days. And if you waited till after the couple of days, you would know for sure that they were dead. So here he is, he's been dead for four days. And he's like, all right, roll away the stone. Like, I gotta, you gotta move this thing out of my way because I'm about to do something here. And they're like, look, uh, Lord, there, there's gonna be an odor. There are three resurrections in the gospels, not including Jesus. There are three other people in the gospels um, that are resurrected. Uh, Christ in Luke chapter eight, if you wanna write these down, Luke 8, 49 through 56, uh, Christ raises a 12-year-old girl who had died. In Luke chapter seven, verses 11 through 17, a young boy or a young man had been raised uh, or had been dead several hours. Um, and then there's Lazarus who had been in the tomb for four days. They present the picture of the three categories, if you will, or the three different kinds of sinners, Okay. See, for the little girl, it's the picture, the resurrection of the little girl is a picture for us of um, children are sinners. Did y'all need me to tell y'all that? No? This means yes. This means no. Or you can just shout it out if you know the answer, right? Children are, children are sinners, but open corruption has not yet set in, okay? So like, think of decay 
and get the imagery of a child being, like little babies, man, they're the just cutest things in the world, not, not in the delivery room, but after the delivery room, they're the cutest little things in the world, right? And they don't do anything. They just sit there and they smell good, you know, like especially after they've had that little Johnson and Johnson's bath or whatever. I mean, they just smell so good and, and then you just want to hold them and they, they, they make all these little cute noises and they're just so fun like they're so innocent they they can't do at that point they can't do anything wrong other than maybe keep us awake late in the night but other than that like they do nothing wrong when they're newborn they're just beautiful but they get older right and as they get older they start lying you ever had a kid lie to you and you knew like I didn't eat the Oreos and their teeth are just like caked I didn't eat them or my favorite one was one time Asher said, I didn't eat any Cheetos. And man, his fingers were as orange as orange could be. Like, okay, all right. Yeah, after a while, they, they, start, um, they start lying. They start acting possessed at times. You just want to cast the demon out of them. Like, so what's wrong with that child? Like, that's the Harrison, my wife's side of the family, coming out in you, right? <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, so that's, that's, that's the picture that we get. So the little girl being raised, innocence. Um, they're dead, but corruption hasn't begun to show itself a whole lot. Then there's a young man that we see in Luke 7, 11 through 17. And he says, uh, so the, the thing with that is, is, you know, young people are sinners too. But, you know, as they get a little older, guess what starts happening? They begin to stink, right? If you don't believe me, Find a middle school boy, go into his bedroom, okay? There is, I don't know, there's an odor. I've got four boys, so I can't speak for girls, but I know that there is an odor that comes out of a middle, middle school boy's room. On the football field, on Friday nights, I go home, I, I stand on the sideline with the football team, I'm grateful for the opportunity, and at the end of the night, I'll go home, and I will literally smell the sweat and the stench of pads. Y'all know that smell? I mean, it just, and it just, it's on you. It's on you. So there's a smell, right? There's an odor. As teenagers as, and as young men and young women, there is a more obvious rebellion. There's a more obvious effect of sin coming out in their life because they start asking you questions. Hey, you need to be home by 10. Why? Because I brought you in this world and I, that's right. Here's the interesting thing too about teenagers and really all of us, but especially like, like I said, like that, that, that age of boys, it's like God gives them an immunity to their own smell. Cause you'd be like, what is that smell? Did you take your shoes off? I don't smell anything. <laughs> All right, let's go take you to the nose doctor next week and make sure we get your sinuses cleared out because mine are. And this is the reality. The spiritual corruption becomes more and more evident as our kids get older. And as we age and as we get older, we, we begin to identify things in ourselves, things that we don't like about ourselves. Like, why do I keep making this same bad decision? Why do I keep, I feel like I'm beating my head against a wall. I mean, it's the same thing over and over. And the evidence of decay becomes more obvious just as it is with the physical smell, spiritual Decay can leave us feeling sick to our stomach and frustrated, frustrated that we don't notice it or that 
in the lives of people that we love, they don't notice it. And then the example that we get in Luke or in John 11 of Lazarus, adults are sinners, right? Adults are sinners whose definite um, outward corruption can be seen. And just in case you haven't seen the decay, the odor of sin, if you will, in the life of an adult, I encourage you when you go home, turn on the news, get a log into Facebook, whatever you got to do, it's not hard to find. We're all sinners and we, we say things and we do things and we're mean at times and then we're like, who in the world was that? Like, why? In? And so this is the decay of sin. So we know that he's dead. How do we know he was dead? Because there's a sin, there's a stench. It's our experience as well. Thirdly, let's look at verses 41 through 44. In 41 through 44, it says, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. See, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and that's exactly what happens to us spiritually. When God begins to draw us, when God begins to reveal himself to us, and we begin to understand for the first time in our life our lostness and brokenness without him, then we begin to realize what he did for us through Jesus Christ. It's in that moment that he begins to call us from the dead. I love what one pastor said, if he didn't call Lazarus by name, he'd have emptied every graveyard in Jerusalem. Again, I, I, had, I had nothing to do with me being raised from the dead, and neither did you, other than my just simple response to what Jesus has done. But, but we serve a God, amen, that can make dead things alive again. And I don't know what it is that feels dead in your life, but God is a resurrector, and he can most importantly make us alive again with him. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. The apostle Paul says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. When God, here's the beautiful thing. When God first gave life to Adam, he breathed life into him. Look in Genesis chapter two, verse seven. Then the Lord God, this is way back in creation, right? He, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and he what? He breathed into his nostrils the what? The breath of life and the man became a living creature. So when we are born again, when God draws us, when he awakens us, when we move from death to life, we are then given as on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection, we are given this thing called the Holy Spirit. And I know that freaks people out. It's like, that seems just kind of weird. It's just the presence of Jesus in our life. When he, when he was with the disciples, he was getting ready to be um, uh, crucified. He knew that he was getting ready to make his way into Jerusalem. And he tells the disciples, it is to your benefit that I leave. Why? Because while I'm here on earth, my ministry is right here. If I leave, I can go into the life and the heart and the minds and the soul of every believer. And while I'm there, my ministry is everywhere that you are. I can be omnipresent through Everybody, so we're given the Holy Spirit as a comforter, as a helper, as one who helps us interpret scripture. And here's the beautiful thing about it. The Holy Spirit is given to us in the moment of our salvation. Do you know what the Greek word for spirit is? It's pneuma. 
which means breath. It's where we get, it's the root part of our word pneumonia. Right? It's where we get the word. So God literally in that moment, he resurrects us, gives us a spirit in a sense, breathing life into us. Look in Ephesians chapter two, verses four through six. And here's what Ephesians two, four through six says. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he uh, loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he did what? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And then watch what he does in verse six. And what? Raised us up and seated him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So there's this, we're, we're dead. We know we're dead because we see the evidence of sin. We smell the stench, just as they said, he, he, he will have an odor by now. Then he raises us up and he, just as he did with Lazarus, and now I want to look at verse 44, because after he raises us up, after we're, after we're made alive with Christ, he does something else. Look again in verse 44. It says, the man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. After someone died in, in the first century, what they would do is they would wrap the body. They would take a cloth um, and they would wrap the body in linens. And then the face was covered with a special cloth and it was called a sudarium. So they would wrap the body then they would put the cloth over the face and then they would bind the hands and the feet uh, with, with these strips of cloth. Now, once the body was presented, once the body was wrapped and it was covered, uh, the, the body would be made available to the family. Usually burial took place within eight hours of death. They would wrap the body and then the, the family would be able to come and say their goodbyes. But it was an evidence, much like when you know, we go to funerals and you see the casket it's almost like the finality of that life. We, we see it, it's there, it's physically present. And we go, okay, this is, it's, it's, you know, there's, there's this part of our minds that when someone passes away that we go, just doesn't seem right. It seems like a dream or a nightmare. You know, it just, something doesn't, but then when we show up to the funeral and there's a casket up front, it's like, man, there's the reality. And having helped people and walked with people through the grieving process of, of death, that day of the funeral becomes like, I watch it in the face of people when they see the casket up here and everything. It's kind of the finality and then you go to the graveside and the body's being lowered down. There's just this sense of finality to it. And so this is, this is Lazarus. He's wrapped, the family knows it, everybody knows it. He's been put in a tomb. But Jesus, when he calls him out, when he raises him to life, he says to Lazarus, he says, come out and then, and then as he comes out, he's still wrapped in all the stuff. And he says to them, he says, Un unbind him and let him go. After Jesus calls Lazarus from the tomb, he tells people to unbind him and let him go. Unbind him and let him go. We were not resurrected from the dead. We were not raised to life. We were not brought out of a spiritual grave to continue to wear grave clothes. We were not intended to continue walking in those old things that we were buried in or we were born dead into. We were not supposed to be bound by those things. And Jesus raises us from the dead. After he raises us from the dead, he says, you are free. Like unbind my child so that they can be free. Look in Galatians 5.1. In Galatians 5.1, the apostle Paul writes this, for freedom, what? 
Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. Uh, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves have become uh, uh, slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been, what's those two words? Set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So he, we were dead, there was an odor, we, we knew it because we could see the sin evident in our life. God draws us, he shows us who he is, he shows us who Jesus is, he awakens us, he raises us from the dead spiritually, and then he says, you don't, like, not, not just raised from the dead, you're not gonna walk around in grave clothes, you're now gonna walk around in grace clothes. You need to take off that old stuff, unbind him so that he can walk in this new freedom. The only reason we sin past salvation is because we wrestle, right? Still, there's this process that has to go on, but we were never meant to stay bound by sin anymore. And I want to encourage you this week. So as we think about, um, guys, I, I don't know about you, but I don't really wrestle too much with what I'm going to wear. I mean, you know, like I get up in the morning, like, yep, that, that, that'll work. Let's do it. it half the time doesn't match. It's okay. We dress our kids the same way, guys. Like, my, like I don't know about you, but my wife doesn't let me dress our kids anymore. She's like, those don't match. It's like, it's basketball shorts. What well, has to match with basketball shorts? But some of y'all, you spend more time than should be needed to pick out your clothes. I'm going to lay these on the bed, and then I'm going to lay this on the bed. And then they stand and stare at it for 20 minutes. I, I, don't, I don't like this. I don't think this goes with this. And, and then the shoes, and then you got to get the jewelry, and then there's all this stuff, right? you got to lay it out. We spend a whole lot of time trying to figure out what we're going to put on and what we're going to take off and what we're going to wear and all these things. I want to encourage you this week, having heard from the word of God about our being born dead, being resurrected to life, and that once we were resurrected, we were supposed to be unbound. I want to encourage you this week, write this down. Please go read Colossians chapter 3. And meditate on that this week because the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3, we're not going to go over it now, we're about to wrap up. But in Colossians chapter 3, he tells us, take off, and then he says, put on. Take off and put on. Take off and put on. It's the symbolism exactly of what Lazarus, when Lazarus comes out, it's like Jesus said, take those off, and now we got to put on. There's this new thing. We're a new creation. We've been raised to life. So Colossians 3, please take time to read that this week. Here's what I want to do now. Let's pray, and we're going to close. And here's what I would like to ask you to consider. Where are you at in the stages of this whole journey? Where are you at? See, are you in the, hey, I have still never responded to the call of Jesus when Jesus called me out of the grave, as we sang earlier. When Jesus called me out of the grave, I never responded. If today you don't know Jesus as your savior, if God has never awakened you spiritually, then I wanna encourage you today. God loves you, he created you, he loves you. And all of us, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the standards of God. And so because God knows that about us, he sent Jesus to die for us. And when Jesus died on the cross, what he did is he paid for all of our shortcomings, our sins. He paid for all of that there. And when we trust, 
when we trust in Jesus, it's in that moment that he awakens us. We're alive spiritually. And then from that point forward, it's the unbinding process. He begins to unravel all the mess. And it takes time. It takes time. But he will do it. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, what I want to encourage you to do today is you can come down, walk the aisle, say, hey, I've never accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I don't know that there's ever been a day of awakening in my life, but I, I want to make that known today. And we'll fill out some forms. We'll just get some information from you, and then we're going to celebrate the heck out of it. If you don't feel comfortable coming down, you can catch me after, or you can go on the app and click. As soon as you open our church app, there's a next step thing right there. You click it, fill, out, fill it out, and check salvation, and we'll get with you. Maybe you're here today, and you're like, hey, look, um, I know Jesus is my Savior, and I'm sort of still in the unbinding process, and I have figured out that I can't do it alone. I can't unbind myself. So I need help. And maybe this church is a place for you to unite and go, hey, I want to be a part of a family who can help me with the unbinding process. Or maybe you just need to pray. Maybe there's some things you need to pray about that you just want to give to God. Maybe you just want to stand right where you're at and worship God for who He is and for what He's done in your life. Whatever it is, you respond the way God leads you.